Hey y'all, this is Byron. I uh, just want to put something out there. Yes, I am a mental health therapist. And yes, my couch is quite comfortable. However, if you're listening to this podcast, it is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship with a certified or licensed mental health therapist. So though I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to me and hopefully gain some information and insight about what's going on with you from listening to this podcast, Take the time to seek out mental health resources in your area if you so need to. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Captain's Couch. I'm your host, Byron Taylor. I want to thank you all so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for following the show and listening. Thank you for paying attention and entertaining my ramblings and my musings. This week on the show, I'm joined by a very special guest um, to continue on my conversation on postpartum depression and to add a woman's perspective from it and her experiences from it. I'm joined by Ms. Bree from the Mama Meets World podcast. Um, we sat down and talked about her experiences with postpartum from her first uh, pregnancy and how drastically different it was from her second pregnancy and kind of all of the different factors that added into how this, the situations were vastly different um so thank you all so much for listening and i hope you enjoy we're back here on the couch and i want to give a shout out to the homie stephanie um at mocha menace podcast for reaching out and suggesting that i speak to um the lady who i have here on the podcast today um she is the host of the Mama Meets World pod. Um, that's a part of the uh, Flawless Noise Media uh, conglomerate over there. Hey, uh, hey, Candace. I like that word. <laughs> I know, right? I know, right? This It's um, at underscore it's Miss Bree. I'd like to say hello to uh, Bree. Uh, Miss Bree, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Shout out to Stephanie. Um, I am... Underscores Miss Bree on Twitter. Um, but if you want to follow my Mama Meets World page, it's uh, Mama Meets Pod. If you don't want my personal ratchetness, which I can understand. But her being a strong. Hey, look, people, um, I know for like, for me doing a mental health podcast, I think, mm-hmm. well, even though, even though they pretty much get a really good feel of who I am as a person by listening to the podcast like i don't know if you really want to hear me ramble on about wrestling or video games by following my twitter account even though i don't tweet near as much but i mean i get it i get it you know everybody we got our personal accounts but then we have to plug these plug our podcast and plug the brand and everything right so today I'm bringing Bree to the table, and if you you are more than welcome to follow me on my personal, it you know Instagram page, Twitter pages, whatever. But I'm gonna tell you right now, Mama Bree is a little bit different from Bree Bree. So you're forewarned because I think a lot of people follow my um, personal page expecting to hear like all these uplifting motherhood, and sometimes I'd be like, I'm fucking tired. I don't, I don't have it today. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> right. Right, like you know, follow Captain uh, Captain Ingenuity is like he's just really backing on Trump again today. It's like I fucking hate everything nowadays. Like I try not to curse on my podcast because my parents listen, but well, my dad listens, but my dad knows I cuss, mm-hmm. I curse, so I don't really care. Like if my mom, I'm my like mom. I just tell my mom just like don't listen, I curse. The funny thing about my podcast is my mother swears she listens, but I curse on my podcast and she would have pinged me a long time ago. Like, why the fuck are you cursing? That's exactly how she would say it. Why the fuck are you 
cursing on the podcast. It's people listening. So she says that she listens to the podcast. What she does is reads the show notes and she'll text me like, I loved your podcast about such and such. Um, I see here that you talk with blah, blah about blah, blah. And wow. Wonderful. I know she don't really listen to it. Right. I, that's probably something like my older brother would do. Like, I know my younger brother listens to the podcast because he's all like, like, dude, that was awesome. To, you know, he like he actually will have like specific shit that he'll say to me about the show. Mm-hmm. But like my dad, I think I think it may just depend upon the topic that I do if my dad listens to the show or not. But, you know, I don't I don't like hold him hostage whenever I drive by the house. It's like, did you listen to my podcast this week? Right. <laughs> right. I, I feel like listenership is a thing. Like, I don't want to force anybody to listen to my show because you have to actually want to be in the space to listen to it, to listen to it. I'd rather just have people, you know, people who I've never met tell me like, oh, my God, I love your podcast. It resonates with me so much. But people I've known for years like, girl, listen, I'll be real with you. I don't listen to your podcast, but I'm subscribed. And I'm like, you know what? That works, too. I appreciate right. you either way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and uh, like, like I mentioned on my, my uh, pod the other day, like my buddy reached out. It's like, I get it. Like, I do a mental health podcast. So, like. For some people, it's just like it can be triggering and it could be a lot right. to listen to my content because it's like, yo, you talk about some heavy, some heavy shit. It's like, yeah, I know. That's why I try to be funny at times with it, because it's a lot. It can be a lot. Like, you know, I remember like talking about how I don't watch television. Like I literally tried to sit down one night and watch my 600 pound life and immediately remembered, oh, yeah, I'm a therapist. This shit is disheartening. And right. I'm it's not going to turn this off and I'm. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna turn this. I'm gonna turn this off, and I'm just gonna go back to YouTube and watch uh, wrestling with regret for like the 45th time because this is sad. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so we are here uh, following up, following up on my episode that I did about postpartum depression, and um, I felt like for me that it it just didn't do enough justice to just as a male. Uh, mental health therapist talk about postpartum. I wanted to get a woman's perspective as well, and especially uh, a black woman's perspective. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to be interviewing my best friend's uh, wife um, later on, and I know they're white, but I definitely I definitely thought it was very pertinent to get a black woman's perspective on dealing with postpartum depression. So um, Stephanie Mocha Menace uh, linked me up with, with Brie and she was willing to come on and talk about it. So um, for you, mm-hmm. what kind of experience did you have as far as like postpartum or baby blues or any like anxiety and maybe even postpartum psychosis that might have happened right. after you uh, you gave birth? So um, I have two children. My daughter is four, about to be 14. That's so weird to say. And my son is five. So um, when I had my daughter, I was 22 and I was, you know, pretty young to, to have a baby. I had a support system, but, you know, there's this thing when you're younger, you have a support system, but they ain't really supporting you. You know, they should be mm. your support system, but they're kind of just they're always there, but they're not really supporting. Um, so it was a weird thing for me because. With Jaden, I was so happy to have her. Like, I wasn't, like, the pregnancy wasn't um, in a bad light or anything. My family was happy to have her. But when I had her, um, I was excited for maybe the first couple of weeks. But when the the work started to set in, and I was Mm. primarily by myself on maternity leave. Um, My partner was working um, very long hours, and he worked overnight. My family lived maybe about 30 minutes away. Nobody was driving to see me every day. When the when the contact stopped, when everybody's not excited about the new baby, and I, I had to sit by myself and like look at this baby, like what the hell are we finna do, <laughs> you know? Mm. And at first, it started like um, constant questioning of myself, like, am I doing this right? Did I do this right? Did I feed her right? Am I burping her right? Um, and there was no like prevalent YouTube back then in 2006 that I could just you know check in with the community and be Mm. like, hey, y'all, am I doing this okay? Or watch a video. I was pretty much by myself. I didn't want to burden my mother or my grandmother with with questions that I had about about her. And then I found, I felt like after I was isolating myself unintentionally, but intentionally. And that isolation turned into um, grief for not having a better word for it, just where I would feel sorry for myself all the time. And that classic, like, why did you do this? I'm so stupid. Like, 
I'm not supposed to be anybody's mother. I can't be anybody's mother. And here, look at you. It was a lot of negative self-talk to the point where um, I talked to my partner about it. And he was kind of just like, you know, we didn't know anybody. He's like, you, your hormones are are acting up. And as soon as your hormones get out of my system, uh, your system, you'll be okay. Well, I was doing my best to take care of the baby, but I was falling further and further into a hole. Um, mm-hmm. the, the best way, and I didn't figure this out until I had my son, because my experience with postpartum depression with my son was much shorter because I was able to recognize the signs. Um, mm-hmm. But the best description that I have for postpartum depression, because um, I didn't have psychosis, but I did have anxiety. I was diagnosed with a general anxiety disorder when I was pregnant with my son. Uh, and that also helped me mm-hmm. to kind of snap myself and get the help that I needed to get out of postpartum. But the way that I describe it is imagine you're in a boat, right? You're just in like a mm-hmm. one person canoe and you're so busy rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. And the rowing is already so hard that you look around and you didn't realize you're taking on water. So by the time you realize you're sinking, you're already up to the neck in water. That's the best way yeah. that I have to describe it. And, you know, you can ask people to help you bail out, but you're, you still have to row. That's the thing. Like you still have to keep going even though you're taking on water and you see you're capsizing, but you can't even save yourself because you cannot uncommit from rowing long enough to save yourself. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. It makes an incredible amount of sense. Um, You know, especially because the idea is that as a mom, like, you know, your focus is on this baby, you know, the, you know, the, the row, the rowing is the work that you're putting in, to, you know, rear the child, you know, feed the child, clothe it, swaddle it, all of that stuff, bathe mm-hmm. it, you know, and all the rowing that you're doing while at the same time you emotionally are sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And like, you know, I talk about depression and I mention it to like my kids as that it's this big giant hole that right. your feelings that you don't express or that you bottle up and you don't want to deal with, you just shove it in the hole. And right. eventually the hole, eventually the hole gets so big that eventually it pulls you into the hole with all of the feelings that you never wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And you you mentioned a, a really good point. And I think it was kind of similar to my experience, but a little different that, you know, I inherited my daughter at 20. Um, my mm-hmm. ex-wife had her had her at 20 years old and we moved to. Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where I was going to college at, at Southern Miss. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that support system was kind of there, but it kind of wasn't. And yeah, like my parents were like an hour and a half away and my ex-in-laws were an hour and an hour away and nobody was driving up there to, to help either. So, I mean, you definitely, it definitely sets you up to a lot. And you mentioned something else, you mentioned something else that I've talked about on the show as well is like the negative self-talk that leads to depression. Um, like you know, the kind of constant questioning of yourself and the the negative judgment of yourself that eventually leads to the whole, and that's a lot of that water that you said that you were taking on. Mm-hmm. Um, so outside of like you know the kind of guilt and stuff like that, so what type of symptoms did you notice you were experiencing? Was it any? Did you have any like thoughts of suicide or anything or like harming the child? Or was it more so just the kind of sinking thoughts of depression? It was the sinking thoughts of depression. But the thing that it that it beat on the most was my self-esteem and my mm. self-confidence. Um, and it wasn't just uh, like when people think about harming themselves, I know that they think about physically harming themselves. And that's a very valid response. But my response was more like, you're worthless. You are absolutely worthless. Why are you taking care of yourself? You're never going to look good. You're never going to lose this weight. You are just a mom now. And it didn't help that I was, you know, going through relationship issues with my daughter's father soon after she was born and we ended up splitting up. Um, And it kind of all just piled on. But um, another one of my, like, I guess, symptoms was I didn't even want to turn on the lights in, in the house. Like I could barely get out of bed. The only time, and I I breastfed my daughter. So we were literally just getting out of bed, you know, if she needed to walk around because she was fussy. But I spent a good two and a half, three weeks in the bed and nobody told me that that was abnormal. (laughs) Like nobody. They kept telling me I was tired 
or I was, you know, just exhausted from caring for a baby. Um, I Another symptom was I was having these headaches, but the headaches were um, not headaches is what I found out. They were, they were the beginning of panic attacks and then they turned into a full-blown panic attack. And I didn't know wow. what a panic attack was at that time. Um, so it scared mm-hmm. me to death. I thought that I was having a heart attack. Um, so those were like the big, the panic attack is what forced me to get the help that I needed. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So like how, how far into the situation did the panic attack start? Like after the baby was born, like how, how long after that did you start noticing the panic attacks and that something like really was amiss? She was, she was four months. So this wasn't even immediate thing. Like I think people think a postpartum depression is this immediate jump into d- directly after the baby slides out. And it's not, it's mm-hmm. all, it's often a very, uh, it's like one of those smooth elevators. You don't realize how far you've gone down or how long you have to go. Oh yeah. Uh, because you can't yeah. you can't feel it moving really. So you don't I didn't I didn't have a benchmark like, oh man, today I started to feel sad. Like it was me trying to adjust and me trying to be normal and me trying to cope until I looked around and realized like I am in the pits of hell. How did I get here? Yeah. So when it when you finally realized you needed help, how mm-hmm. did you come about getting it did you was it like at one of your 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 daughter's checkups was it Mm -hmm. um through medical you know you felt like all right look i need help you know seeking Mm -hmm. out mental health services or was it somebody else was like hey we need to maybe see about how to help you i didn't share it with any of my family or friends at the time i was going through it her doctors didn't ask anything um I ended up, I was pissed poor child. Like I was poor, poor. So we were mm-hmm. on Medicaid, me and my daughter, yeah. uh, when we had, when I had her and um, I ended up calling Medicaid looking for a dentist. Like I called the call center and I was like, um, do y'all, 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 y'all have therapy or something? <laughs> that was literally <laughs> me because the concept was not, you know, absolutely outrageous to me because I had seen the therapist when I was younger, you know, 14 or 15, trying to get through these uh, the hard tumultuous years, but I was mm-hmm. like, do y'all cover therapy? And she was like, nah, girl, not really, but I'm gonna tell you what to do. So I called our 800 resource number who referred me to a call center, who referred me to another, you know, bigger entity, which referred me to a low cost sliding scale therapist. I had no money. So I went to the first appointment. I was like, listen, I ain't got no money. And they looked at my finance like, oh, damn, she really ain't got no money. So they did the the therapy for free. I didn't, I elected not to use medicine uh, Mm -hmm. because of the stigma around it. And if I would have known better, I would have definitely gone for medicine. But I was worried about breastfeeding and, you know, all these other things, which were valid concerns. But um, I saw that therapist um, from the time that Jaden was almost one until the time she was almost three. So it wasn't an easy get up out of there either. It was a a steady climb, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, two years worth of therapeutic treatment without medication, I mean, that definitely is a lot of work. I mean, you know, it's bitter work. You know, I think I, I actually, I mentioned this to one of my kids because Avatar The Last Airbender is back out on mm-hmm. Netflix. And like, you know, obviously that was my shit. 15 years ago when it came out and uh you know the idea of what bitter work is like even in therapy like it's bitter work that is needed and it's so much so much that you have to pull out of yourself in order to start pulling yourself out of the hole um right did you ever get to a point where you opened up and talked to like you know your your daughter's father or your family about a time no um, <laughs> I don't have one of those families. I, I just don't wow. like keeping it a hundred with yeah. you. Like my, my grandma, my mama, everybody of them love me when they're not therapy people. They mm-hmm. don't get it. They're like, oh, it's good. You went to a therapist, but it's not like I can explore, you know, different concepts that I'm learning with them. Like I just kept it for myself. And by the time that, you know, I was in treatment, me and her father were broken up. And to me, it wasn't his business anymore because he yeah. wasn't going to help me. You know, I feel like he um, 
kind of piled on because I didn't feel like I had the support and the help that I needed from him. And that made me feel like I was drowning. Like, that made me feel very alone. And I uh, worked out a lot of that stuff in therapy. But you talked about the the bitter work, right? Mm-hmm. And I I don't know how to put this except to say I kind of felt like I deserved to do that work. Not, And that's yeah. not a positive statement at all. Like, I feel like that was my punishment, for lack of better words. Like, you have to do this the hard way. You have to do this yourself. Like, the end. You don't get to take shortcuts with medicine. You know, and that was where my mind was back then. I totally don't have those same thoughts and feelings now. Mm-hmm. But I felt like this was my, that was my punishment even for being a quote unquote bad mom. Um, because I tell, you know, all my friends all the time that are having children that are, because I started my motherhood journey a lot earlier than most of my peers. Most of my peers yeah. weren't having kids, so they were 35, 36. And I tell them straight up, get the help you need now. Just don't even just go ahead and figure that you're going to need some help. Get into therapy while you're pregnant so that when things start going off, you have a benchmark. You have somebody to tell you, hey, this is not the right thought pattern. This is not healthy. You have somebody so you don't fall. So you don't have to go through what I went through. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, there are so many struggles of having a child young. That when you mm-hmm. like piling piling on postpartum on top of that, and then the breakdown of a relationship on top of that is so much. Like I mean, it's it's remarkable, and you know, you know, and, and like definitely, I think that perspective of feeling like that this is what you deserved because of everything that was happening. I can understand that you would have that have that mindset. Like I mean, I think back of trying to raise a child keep a marriage going and college all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I I'll, I can understand that perspective of feeling like, yeah, this is what I deserve for putting myself in this position. Um, when you don't have the tools to like figure out what's going on, the first person you blame is yourself. Yep. I learned that a long time ago because I have this thought that I am the only person that I can control. So everything must be my fault. Because I'm the only person that I can control. So if I let this this go awry for whatever reason, clearly it's my fault. Now, now I know that that's not positive and that's not the right way to think. And that's not, you know, some situations are blameless. But I yep. didn't know that back then. But I mean, all of this stuff, like I, I tell my story about having postpartum. But I think the bigger story is when you are poor and you lack the resources, you have to take the long way. Nobody is there to give you this hand because there were so many places that my postpartum could have been detected. And my doctor, if Jada's doctor would have asked me one question, if the, the postpartum checkup would have included one question about how you're feeling or making me fill out a scale of, you know, uh, how many days are you sad or how many days, this would not have had to have been an uh, entire ordeal. Yeah. Um, I think, oh, good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I know that no one's immune to postpartum depression, but when you are dealing with poverty already, and especially being a woman of color, no, let me say a black woman, mm-hmm. when you're a poor black woman, nobody feels like you deserve to have the kids that you have anyway. You're on Medicaid. How did you, you know, how are you so irresponsible that you got pregnant? All these other things, they weigh into the way that doctors treat you. And, you know, a lot of times they don't offer that help. And I know that I went to straight up county. It was the county clinic. Mm-hmm. And the way that they treated me at that county clinic is laughable. Like, I think that if, you know, they ever did an investigation on how, you know, poor women are treated when they're going to these um, these prenatal clinics, then a lot of shit would shut down. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned like a bunch of different things. And one of the questions I had on here is how medical care professionals can improve. Like, part of that is, one, how we treat poor people. Mm-hmm. Two, how we treat poor black people. And how we provide medical care for those people. Like, I mean, especially with Medicaid, because I work for a nonprofit and the program mm-hmm. that I work in um, is strictly Medicaid funded. Like, but I'm not, you know, I guess and maybe that's just me as a black person knowing like all of the things that um, entail and how poorly we're treated. Like I go and I give 135% to all of them kids that I see, you know, 
depending, you know, some of that may slack off depending upon how receptive the kids are, right. or how how much of a pain in the dick that their families are, can be. Right. But I think at the same time, like when it comes to the medical care that we provide, it, it the state, the like, you know, the the quote unquote moral failings of poverty that we mm-hmm. label people with is such a burden that is so unfair. You're yeah. absolutely right. Like the the attitudes that a lot of and I know you've seen it. This is your field. I know yeah. that you've seen your colleagues kind of have this disdain towards black, you know, poor black or poor, poor Hispanic kids or, you know, I feel like there's more sympathy for poor white women. Um, I know that's that's probably like, well, everybody's poor, but it ain't the same. It's not yeah. the same. Um, yeah, I, I definitely saw a a client's family, a client's uh, caretaker pull the the white woman, pull 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 a straight up white woman this week, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was like, yep, I'm not surprised that 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 situation resolved itself in that way at all. Right, <laughs> I'm not shocked whatsoever. Um, where I don't think that we probably would have done that to a different ethnicity of parent, um. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was like I was like, mm, not shocked that that played out that way. So, when did you notice that you started seeing? So you after two years time, you mm-hmm. felt like you started um, seeing improvements um, in your emotion, <clears throat> your emotional state of mind. Um, how did that kind of translate into you as a mom going forward? And then mm-hmm. when the second pregnancy came, how you were able to respond to, you know, mm-hmm. maybe postpartum when your son came. Well, I don't want to say it took a whole full two years for me to get better. It was a steady incline. So I'd have a realization in therapy. I'd work on it. You know, I, I'd go on. I'd come back. I'd have another realization. It's like climbing out of a hole. Yeah. Um, but I will say that feeling better made me be a better parent. Um, finding the self-esteem that I had for myself or finding a deeper value in myself made me value being a parent even more. Um, as she got older and as I got, you know, more mature, this thing happened where you see your child and you're like, God, this, this girl is gorgeous. And Mm -hmm. me and my daughter are spitting images. It's almost scary. And I'm like, if she's so gorgeous, then how do I think that I'm not pretty as well. How do I how do I not care for myself the way that I care for her if she's an extension of me? So it was a um a combination between getting professional help, having these realizations that come with age and maturity, and you know, watching her grow and getting to be getting to feel grateful for being her mother. Getting to feel grateful and climbing out of, you know, my very ridiculously poor situation. It gave me another viewpoint. The the more that I leveled up, the more that I could, you know, put postpartum behind me or put those feelings behind me because the voices still come. Even now, the voices still come. But I know mm-hmm. how to combat them or I know that they're lies. So um, when I got pregnant with my son, it was night and day how I was treated at the doctor because I was married. Um, I had very good insurance. Um, I had a private doctor. So when I went to that doctor, they asked, they checked on my emotional well-being every single appointment, every single appointment, even in the hospital. They made everybody leave the hospital when I had him um, or at least stand outside of the room to give me some privacy. Even his father and asked me, are you OK? How are you feeling? Do you feel like you want to hurt yourself? Do you feel like you want to hurt the baby? Do you feel, you know, emotional despair or sadness? They asked me those things on the spot. And I just I had something to compare it. to. I was like, oh, this is funny. Like. Now that I have insurance and now that I'm married and I have this nice ring on my finger, now I'm important enough to make sure I'm okay. But um, I approached my doctor, actually. I approached at my six-week checkup, I approached my doctor like, I'm not feeling back to myself like I should be feeling. Mm -hmm. And he's six weeks old. And um, he immediately referred me out to another therapist because I had been seeing a therapist when I was pregnant, but she more dealt was dealing with my anxiety um, mm-hmm. issues because I have very bad anxiety issues. Like something would happen to me when I was uh, out or pregnant if I was by myself, but that was just founded in years of untreated anxiety that I didn't know is anxiety. Yeah. Um, but it, it took me, whereas it took me almost nine months to get help with Jaden, with Jameson, it, it didn't even take me six weeks. Wow. So yeah, that, that, 
and you mentioned so many different dynamics of like the where we would see and treat you like with quote unquote more quote unquote value. You're mm-hmm. married. You're with good, you know, private insurance. You know, you're a little bit more upwardly mobile. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to treat you a little bit better. It's like, oh, well, you know, Mrs. Such and Such, you know, as opposed to Miss Da Da Da. Right. Um, you know, like it, it's man, like the game is so just flawed. Like, I mean, yeah. and, and that's one of those things that in, in mental health that they often teach you as I'm like currently resenting having to study for the uh, the national counseling exam of mm-hmm. checking your implicit impl- implicit and explicit biases that may cause you or or hinder you from treating clients like you know if clearly you have these you know implicit biases of how you may treat poor people or how you may treat you know an unwed mother you know you you might need to check that at the door and be like all right so clearly i have an issue with this where i feel like it's a moral failing but i should still probably give them the same kind of quality treatment that I give a, you know, Mrs. Mrs. Henderson over here when when she mm-hmm. comes in with Billy and and Susie and, you know, as opposed to, oh, this Brie lady over here that comes in with with her little hello, baby. Like it's uh, right. it's, you know, it's things like that that glare like the very, you know, ugly magnifying glass on how much our biases bleed into even how we treat people. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, seeing the differences in how, so how was your recovery process with your son and like, and how drastically different it was with your daughter? I chose medication with my son and I was back on my feet. And I think that the four weeks it took for the medication to really take hold, Mm -hmm. I was fine. I was back to myself. I was back to feeling like myself. I had energy again. I was, you know, but I, I said, I, I have this thing that I, the, the number one regret that I have with my daughter, I feel like I missed out a lot of her baby years because I was so entangled in my own stuff. And I was so wrapped up in what was going on with me and her father. Like I was a good mother and I took care of her, but I didn't savor those moments. And the difference is that with my son, because I got to, even though me and his father went through and we ended up not staying together, I, because I was able to get help sooner, I did not hold on to those things. And I said, you know what? My baby's only going to be a baby for a year. My baby's only going to be a toddler for two years after that. I'm going to savor this and I'm going to make sure I'm healthy enough mentally to savor it. It was just an attitude change. And I mean, you can chalk that up to being, um, a little more responsible, chalk it up to being a little more wise and more mature. But honestly, I'm gonna chalk it up to having better health care. Yeah. And like it's funny because that's you mentioned about not feeling like you were able to savor those moments when they were baby. That is a theme that I'm hearing. That's a very common theme I'm hearing. Um is feeling like you didn't get to savor those moments because of dealing with your postpartum or dealing with your depression or your own mental health. Like, right. Wow. Like you heard that. I I heard you say that and like having these conversations, that's like, that's a very prominent theme I'm hearing, you know, is it, and it's funny because I mean, the thing about depression is like, it robs you of the joy that you're, that you should like normally experience Mm -hmm. that ultimately it kind of robs you of that joy. Um, you know, I don't, I know I haven't dealt with depression, um, maybe like adjustment disorder or maybe like mm-hmm. with the situation I had when I was married, but, mm-hmm. um, wow, that's, that's a crazy thing. Like hearing moms talk about that and like, you know, cause I want to, you know, actually I wonder like if I ever talked to my ex-wife about that, I know she's dealt with depression for quite some time. Mm-hmm. If she ever had that experience. Cause her and I don't really talk about those times anymore. I mean, right. I was there. I was there for a lot of it, um, but we don't really talk about those things anymore because you know we're still trying to figure out how to be cordial and friendly. Now that we're oh, not, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, now that we're not husband and wife anymore. Right. Right. Um, uh, but the one thing yeah, I've but, tried to do is try to be like I'm honest. The person that I didn't have to confide in before has 
turned into my daughter. Like she is the person that I tell about these things, you know, from when the time she's about to be 14 now, when it was appropriate, I told her my story in hopes that when she decides that she wants to have children, she doesn't go through that. Um, There is a lot of embarrassment around postpartum depression because any time you're questioned or you question yourself as a mother, you are afraid as a black woman to tell anybody because the first thing I thought when I started going through this and they diagnosed me with postpartum was they're going to take my baby away from me. Yeah, I'm uh, already another, poor. <laughs> you that's know. another thing. That's another theme I've heard. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Like I, I want to equip my daughter with knowledge at least. Mm-hmm. Like I, being that I went through that with her, I can tell her now, like, you know, you turn into your own feelings. You you understand yourself first. That's what that is your requirement of that is my requirement of you. That you know who you are and you know yourself and you know when something's off. Because I promise you, life will go a lot more smoothly for you if you understand who you are at the baseline. So it'll be easier to see, you know, when something's off. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I've been doing with my daughter um, as she's been in therapy um, the past few months is, you know, getting a better understanding of her of her. Well, now diagnosed depression and anxiety. And, you know, you mentioned that, too, like growing up with your child is Mm -hmm. like, you know, I've the last three years is been having the conversations of, you know, the dynamic between her mother and I and now the dynamic between her and her mother. And, right. you know, her mom's mental health struggles and how it affected things between her and her mother and me and now how they're affecting things with her. And, you know, also getting to help her kind of understand who she is as a person. And, you know, even for me, like not putting pressure on her of like, look, you know, I would love grandkids, but I'm not going to force you or constantly, you know, berate you if you don't have grandchildren. Like if you don't right. have grandchildren and, you know. But the the one of those things that we often don't stress is why it's important to have these conversations with our kids is that mm-hmm. mental health is genetic. It you know, is. Mental, mental health is genetic. And, you know, having those conversations with your children about what you're going through to help them be aware that this may be something you have to deal with as well. I didn't find out until maybe last year that my mother went through postpartum depression. My mother has four children. She had very tumultuous relationships with my father. I know and my sister's father, at least. And I remember asking her, like, when you saw me struggling, why didn't you say anything? Like, and she was like, honest to God, I don't even think I processed what I went through because I never got any help either. Yeah. It's been it's been I just really I desire to break these chains. I desire to break these these um, curses curses, generational curses that we go through. And I think that people talk about generational curses in this, you know, big mystical spiritual way. And it's Mm -hmm. honestly, it's the way that we talk to each other or don't talk to each other. It's the way that we communicate with each other or don't communicate with each other. It's the way that, you know, where the conversation that I'm having with my daughter, my mother never had with me because that was grown folks business or it Mm -hmm. was not a child's place to understand. I never shy away from telling my kids, you know, in inappropriate ways what I feel or how I feel because Lord knows I never want the, them children to get out there and say, my mother worked 18 jobs and she struggled and she never complained and she was fine with it. That is not what I want for my children at all. I want them to know, like, being a parent is hard. It's rewarding, but it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I know that's been a conversation, like, that kind of breaking those generational chains and having these conversations with your kids. Like that's one that I know I've had a little bit of, a little bit of kind of, I wouldn't say backlash, but like negative feedback on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because I, you know, I was very upfront and I, I didn't, especially cause my daughter is very cognizant and I've raised her to be very cognizant and right. she's a very empathetic child. And I never wanted to be in a situation where suddenly I'm like kind of gaslighting her that the experiences that she witnessed right. in my marriage didn't happen because suddenly I don't want to talk about them. And then like, especially now at this point where I have moved on and her mother is slowly moving on where now I'm, you know, a year and a half deep in this relationship with my girlfriend mm-hmm. is that, you know, like, you know, I have these conversations with my daughter about what is going on because maybe eventually this woman becomes her stepmother. 
or you know that you know or even I also, if she never becomes a stepmother she deserves that explanation so that right. she doesn't just walk into her own house and be like what the hell is going on right right yeah and also that she knows that i'm in a good emotional place because i know mm-hmm. that child constantly worries about me and i'm like and i've told her i'm like baby i know you worry i don't want you to that's not your job to i'm okay mm-hmm. you know i'm in a good place and i'm okay um you know but also having the tough conversations with her like the day i had to tell her that i wasn't her biological father um mm-hmm. that was that was a hard conversation to have um i understand and then but now when people tell her that she looks just like me her and i laugh like literally laugh internally mm-hmm. And we look at each other, and it's our inside joke now that, no, I'm her stepfather, but thank you. Um, I, I feel bad that I laugh at these people. I don't know why I do. I think it's <laughs> funny. I, I think it's funny to me. Um, you know, I think the funniest one that I got was that at Mardi Gras, somebody thought that my best friend's wife and I were married and that my daughter was our child. And... Shelby looked at me and I looked at Shelby and Naora looked at both of us and was just like, what? <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. That's my best friend's wife. That's my child, but it's my stepdaughter. Right. <laughs> I, like, I, I didn't explain all the way, but I was just like, that's my best friend's wife. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny because um, I have a stepfather that I love dearly because he raised me and that's my daddy, if anybody asked. And he was actually, after I had my daughter, he came into the delivery room to see her and the nurse was like, oh my God, this is your daddy's twin. This baby is. And I was <laughs> just like, okay, girl. <laughs> right. Yeah. I look forward to that. I look forward to that. Like I hopefully like if, you know, I don't know if her biological father would show up, but obviously mm-hmm. I would be there and if you actually saw a picture of her biological father, you would never say that she looks like me. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> right. I'm like, yo, I like, I'm not even that light skinned for that child to be my child. They got some light skinned folks in my family on my mom's side, but not on my daddy's side. And I look like my dad's side of the family. We dark over here on the Taylor side. Now them Owens, they light skinned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause my Nana is light. I love my Nana to death though. Um, but so I think you kind of answered everything. Like, you know, obviously you talked about having anxiety before. Um, for you, how can we as mental health professionals and as medical care professionals how, or as society, how can we be doing a better job of normalizing and helping treat um, postpartum depression? I think that it should be assumed that every woman who has given birth has postpartum depression until it's proven elsewise. That's the only way that you're going to stop this. And you're going to get people, you know, to get treatment in the ways that they need. Because I call it superwoman syndrome, right? You have to be super mom. You, no, no, everything's okay. I'm managing, I'm coping. Or how everyone tells you how hard motherhood is, right? So when shit starts getting hard, you're like, oh, no, this is normal because motherhood is so hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like having those checkpoints built in so that you're checking at the hospital, you're checking at the six week checkup, the pediatrician is checking in with you. Um, if we were a better country without such a fucktard as a president, mm. we would have uh, there would be comprehensive maternity care in this country that you you're pretty much dumped in your ass after you have a baby in this country yeah and postpartum care is laughable with one appointment after you have a baby to you know check on you and make sure you're not pregnant again um in a better world that that health care would last at least as long as you were pregnant you know why not nine months after since you follow this woman for nine months when she was caring, why not follow her for another nine months to make sure that she gets back to who she is? I yeah. think that's how that that would work better. But we don't live in a perfect world. So I will say for me, the one thing that I wish I would have had was a supportive partner that didn't have to be the child, my child's father. I think that a lot of people get so wrapped up in asking people if something's wrong, when if you just feel it out, you'll know something's wrong, especially if you know them. You don't have to ask if something's wrong. Sometimes you just insert yourself in a situation in a very polite way. Um, I, I'm going to do an episode on this, as a matter of fact. After you have a baby, the one thing people love to say is, what can I do to help you? When 
you as a mom and as most purpose people's personality is not to ask for anything. Yeah. You know, insert yourself. Hey, do you mind if I bring dinner over? Hey, do you mind if I sit with you? I know you just had the baby. Uh, maybe I can watch the baby while you go take a shower or take a nap. Things like that. Just put yourself in there. Like, especially partners, you have the privilege of being with that woman day in and day out most of the time. Just listen, look, observe. Yeah. You don't have to wait for somebody to tell you something's wrong to tell that something's wrong or to know that you could, you know, be of more support. Yeah. And like, that's one thing I loved about Insecurity Season was that, like, they didn't like explicitly say it, but like, mm -hmm. Kelly was like always there to right. help Tiffany out. Like every time you like pretty much almost every scene you saw Kelly in this season, it was, you know, holding the baby or, you know, organizing stuff at the house for Tiffany. And then even the stuff with like Molly, Molly was like, you know, well, we put decided to put stuff to here and here, whatever, whatever. You know, I know Issa was busy with her stuff right. where she wasn't there as much. But I love that, that like, like Kelly was like always seemingly always there to help Tiffany out. And then Derek was like, you know was like a subtle MVP of the show where he, you know, he tried, he did try, but I don't know if he, he just didn't know how much more to try or where else to go to get Tiffany the help that she needed until it was like, oh my God, we got to find her. Right. You know, um, I hosted a podcast uh, during the insecure season called the insecure experience with Candace and, um, and my friend Tia on flawless mm -hmm. noises. And we talked about that extensively. Like I love how they put those little crumbs down that, hey, this woman is suffering, would you notice these symptoms if it was your friend or your partner? I hope that's the conversation that people walk away with. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I've noticed that, yeah. I love how, like, everybody seems to get something, like, very profound out of a 30-minute television show <laughs> on HBO. And, and like, I love how, how we're all having these conversations about Insecure, like, you mm -hmm. know, Maybe with not so much projection that we do on Twitter, but the kind of more like what you guys are doing over there, the more kind of in-depth conversations that we're right. having that the show is is giving those little fillers out. I love it. It's so, it's so fantastic. But yeah, um, this was this was incredible, man. Like, this, I, like you definitely said you was an open book. And I mean, you gave you gave great, 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 great information as far as your story and the chapter the chapters that you find yourself in and how you know how much work you've done as far as recovering mm -hmm. and you know being able to kind of go a little bit easier on yourself as time is going on so but thank you so much ma'am so no problem thank you so much for having me because you know i'm a fan of the show especially anything that's going to because a lot of people don't have the money to see a therapist like just real talk. It ain't Even cheap. if you have insurance, it's not cheap. You know, I pay $30, $40 copay every time I want to go see my therapist. And that's a privilege mm -hmm. that I understand that I have. And yeah. for you to offer a mental health podcast in a space where it's free so that if you can't afford to actually go see somebody, at least you can afford to start doing some of the work by yourself. That's, yeah. that's worth it. So anytime you need me, hit me up. I'll be yes, around. Well. Yeah. So let the people know where they can find you. Okay, so you can find me on Twitter. My personal Twitter is it's uh, underscore it's Miss Bree, and that's M I S S. Uh, my personal Instagram is Bree Testicle, B R E T A S T I C A L. Um, the show page is Mama Meets World Pod on Instagram and Mama Meets Pod on Twitter. Um, give me a follow, give me a listen. If you just want to support me at school, you can just subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your preferred podcast, and I would appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Byron. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for joining me here on my lovely, comfortable, spacious. <laughs> I'm an adult, so the couch is white couch. <laughs> <laughs> I got kids, so I can't promise it's gonna be white when we done. Look I, look, I have a teenager and she stays in her room when she's over here on the weekends. Um, and like it was funny because when I bought the couch, my homegirl was like, that is very adult of you to buy a white couch, Brian. I was like, I mean, it was the only color it came in. And I really liked the couch. So <laughs> I didn't have no choice. A brave man. Hey, I try. But thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No problem. 
Once again, I want to thank Ms. Bree for coming on the podcast and um, joining me and opening up a very, very difficult topic, I'm certain. Um, it was funny listening to the situation and recording these. And it's interesting as you listen to the next couple of episodes that you'll hear some common themes and some common common kind of perspectives when it comes to postpartum depression. Um and I want to thank my my friends and family who have kind of briefly talked about their own um, situations with postpartum depression um, offline in person with me or, you know, through conversation. Um, I'll give some more feedback as far as postpartum goes and one story that I got um, in a few in the next couple of weeks. Um, but check in in the next two well, the next three episodes, including this one. So the next two from this one um, will be doing interviews and discussing postpartum depression to continue the the uh, conversation and allow the ladies to have a little say about what went on in their lives and how we as mental health professionals or as medical professionals can help with postpartum. Um, so thank you so much for listening. There were no new five-star reviews, and I'm not going to sh- shame you guys with um, the music this week. But thank you all so much for listening to The Captain's Couch. Um Raiders review is leave a five-star review on iTunes and on Stitcher. You also can leave a five-star review on Podcast Addict if you use Podcast Addict. Um, maybe one of these days they'll add that to Spotify. That'd be nice. Um, send feedback to at Captain's Couch on Twitter, at the Captain's Couch on Instagram, and the Captain's Couch page on Facebook. Um, if you want to follow me personally, um, at Captain underscore Ingenuity on Twitter and Instagram. Um, We will be back next week with some more um, tales and some more conversation about postpartum depression. So with that being said, we'll see you next week. Peace. Congregation, would you turn your text to the book about cast? Chapter 2, verse 1, the first one that feel me. Jump up and make a joyful noise, you've outcast it. Meaning, now you have a choice like that.